when you have intimacy with the living God, when you take the burdens and the concerns and the things that rob you of your joy, you can put them down and leave them there. And you no longer have to fear the worst because He is sovereign and He is in charge and He is sufficient and He can be trusted. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today we are continuing our studies in the New Testament book of Philippians. And so if you have your Bible, could you turn with me please to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Chapter 4, as we're reading verses 4 through 9. Over the last few weeks, we have been working our way steadily through Philippians, and you'll find it on page 1830-1830 of the Pew Bible. The Apostle Paul writes some of the best-known words in this entire epistle. He writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. About 18 months ago, a friend sent me a video clip from YouTube, and I think the following Sunday I shared it with you, so please forgive me if this is a little redundant. And the clip was of the tennis player Roger Federer. And Federer, as the video opens, he is standing in the middle of a photo shoot uh, with a suit and uh, shoes, and he's looking into the camera, and he's advertising Gillette razors. And you see him standing there, speaking into the camera, and then you hear someone in the background saying, that's enough, and then he takes off a mic and he's chatting to some of the technicians. And as he's chatting to some of the technicians, clearly a conversation is developing. And the sound technician, he goes over with the boom and he places it above Federer and the technician, and you see the two of them chatting. You don't hear all that happened at the beginning, but what you hear is Federer says this. He says, I get asked about this all the time, so let me show you. And you think, okay, what's coming? And he steps off to one side, he picks up a tennis racket and a ball, and he takes the technician over to about 35 or 40 feet away, and he has the technician 
face him. And then he takes a bottle of water and he balances it on his head and he's standing there. And Federer says, now, stand still, you'll be fine. And he goes back over here and he takes the ball, bounces it twice, throws the ball up in the air, and he serves. 90 miles an hour and it knocks the plastic water bottle right off the technician's head. And the whole room goes, <gasps> and then wild applause breaks out, because it's spectacular to be able to control a tennis ball at 90 miles an hour to within two inches. And he goes over, he shakes the technician's hand, and you begin to realize that the accuracy and the precision is not by chance or accident. But in fact, Federer, like so many spectacular tennis players, have mastered the fundamentals. And when they're there at six in the morning in the gym exercising, when they're practicing most of the day, when they're listening to their coach, they are mastering the fundamentals over and over again. A good friend of mine who's a very fine tennis player, let me borrow a spare racket that he had about two years ago. And as soon as I had it in my hand, I was examining the grip and I was trying the weight and the balance. And of course, no sooner did I have it in my hands than my feet started to go apart. And I would try forehand, backhand, forehand, backhand, just to try it. And then I looked at the head of the racket and right in the center of the strings is where it was worn the most, right in the center. If it had been me, it would have been worn round the racket head, the frame. But this guy was a very fine tennis player who over the years learned where the sweet spot was. Now, when the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's reminding the folks at Philippi and reminding us as well that if you are ever to grow in your faith, if that relationship with Christ is to develop and mature, you have to master the fundamentals. Forehand, backhand, prayer, reading God's Word, getting to worship, disciplining your life. That's what's going on here. Learn where your sweet spot is. Now, remember who is writing these words, because they sound odd when you first read them. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And they sound odd for this reason. Over the last few weeks, as we have been going further and further into Philippians, we know this. The Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell. He's been arrested for his faith. He's about to go on trial for his life. And yet, he's able to write, rejoice in the Lord always. It's an incredible thing to write from prison. Again, I say, rejoice. Now, remember who Paul is. Not only is his back against a wall, not only is his future uncertain, but for the last 30 years, since the day he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, he, his faith has been growing and developing and maturing over three and a bit decades. And now, towards the end of his life, 
It's from that sweet spot of a spectacular, intimate, transformative relationship with Christ, he's able to write, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul was a colossal figure in the first century. He left an indelible signature of greatness across the ancient world. His ministry was matchless, his life magnificent. Today, this very day, millions across the world will read what he wrote and are trying to apply it to their lives. Paul was utterly spectacular. But we know this. He's not writing from some ivory tower at a university or a college and talking about theory. Paul is saying, when your back is up against the wall, that's the time to be able to say, I need to rejoice in Him. Now, folks, that seems more of an absurdity than it does a paradox, and yet that's what he writes. Now, hold that thought for a moment, and we'll come back to it. Now, I touched on this a couple of weeks ago, so please be patient with me. If I was to stand at the door this morning with a clipboard, and on the way out I was to ask you this question, over the last seven or eight Sundays, as we have been making our way through Philippians, what is the main theme of that epistle? Most of you rightly would say, well, we think joy or rejoicing. You find it in chapter 1, in chapter 2, in chapter 3, twice in chapter 4. Joy or rejoicing is clearly the main theme of the epistle. But I'm not so sure. And this is what we touched on two weeks ago. So again, forgive me if this is redundant. What we said then, and what is still true today, is this. That over 40 occasions... Out of 106 verses in the entire epistle, you find the name or the title, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. And the further and further, and the deeper you get into this epistle, what you learn is this, that joy and rejoicing is one of the major themes, but it's not the main theme. Because the main theme of this epistle is this, the centrality of Christ in the life of His children. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, put it down. If you're watching by television and you missed it, let me say it again. The main theme of Philippians is the centrality of Christ in the life of His children because Paul understood this, that when he prays, when he goes to that place of deep abiding joy and intimacy, when he enters in to the presence of Christ in prayer, he knows this. That is where joy is birthed. That's where it matures. That's where it grows. That's where we learn of Him. When was the last time you found yourself caught up in the presence of God in prayer and everything else around you moved to oblivion? 
You were not conscious of what other people were doing, who was in the room, what was happening. But you had that moment of deep intimacy and joy with Him. Your heart was connected to God Himself. It was an almost a tangible experience of that moment of prayerful intimacy. When everything else shifted to oblivion, that's prayer. That's prayer. Not a laundry list of wants, but deep intimacy with Him. And that's why Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he adds these strange words at verse 6, if we can jump forward. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Isn't that a strange thing to write? Do not be anxious about anything. Now, most of us are saying, I agree. It's a biblical principle, but can't I be anxious just about this one thing? Let me just worry about that one thing. Because what is going on, of course, is this, that you may have lived with a pattern of anxiety and concern and worry. And when you're dozing off at night, your imagination is rapidly running. And as we said last Sunday morning, you end up solving problems that don't exist. And you start telling the Lord how to solve the challenge that is in front of you. And you're tempted to say, but Lord, I know this situation more intimately than anyone else. Let me tell you how to solve it. I've been living with it for years. And the Lord shakes his head and thinks, okay, they're not ready. They're not ready. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We touched on this last January, and I think it's worth seeing again this morning. And some of you will recognize this illustration immediately, but it's apropos to our study today. And I wonder if you are here this morning, and the things that rob you of your joy or the things you have no control over, or the people that just irritate you to death, and you wish you never had to see them again or deal with them, and they're the people who live in your neighborhood or work in the office you work in, and it just drives you nuts, and you want to tell them how they should live and how to talk, and you want to organize everything and everyone because you know best. And you take these things, and you put them into that backpack on your back, and it's your grandchildren, or your great-grandchildren, or what should be on TV, or what's not on TV, or what is on TV, or how the person in work should behave, or if only the person across the road would keep their dog off your lawn, and all of that stuff. 
And it goes into that backpack on your back, and it becomes so much a part of you, it becomes part of your identity. And if you didn't wear it and talk about it, people would not recognize who you are. Does that describe you this morning? Getting old and grumpy, and nothing brings satisfaction, nothing brings joy, but it's always one difficulty after another after another. Folks, let me go a little deeper and be serious for a moment. When you take that backpack off and you put it down and you walk away, do not be anxious about anything. But by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and leave it there. Is God sufficient to deal with all of that? Yes or no? Yes. Yes? Is He sufficient to deal with it? Well, why are you mentally tiptoeing back over here while I'm over there? Because you want to pick it up again. Because it comes back knocking at your door and demands attention. And it demands that you pick it up and you stroke it and you love it. And after all, it is your precious. (laughs) Really? Really? Leave it there. He can deal with it. Now, when we looked at this back in January, and at the close of our service, we'd finished the hymn, and I got down for the benediction, and when I was giving the benediction, I could see a number of you had taken it off, slipped it under the pew in front of you, and during the benediction, that's what you were picking it back up and putting it on. Are you mastering the fundamentals? Forehand, backhand, forehand, backhand? Are you disciplining yourself to say, Father, I leave it with you. I will not from this point on, from this commitment Sunday, I will not allow it to define who I am or determine my future. And folks, some of us, so please don't allow me to be too lighthearted this morning, some of us are dealing with real issues but He's a real God, and He really can deal with them. This past Tuesday, I went over to the intensive care unit at Greenville Memorial, and I went to see a member whose funeral was yesterday morning, Roger Chastain. And when I went to see Roger, it was pretty clear in his mind, and his family, and his doctors, that the end was near, and he died on Thursday. But when I saw him on Monday, I had that rare experience of going into the ICU. A patient is being unplugged, and all the various leads are being taken off, and the nurse is filling out the paperwork, and his family was there. And he said, Richard, I want to go home. And people almost never go directly from ICU to go home. They usually go into a ward where doctors and nursing staff extend exceptional care and then prepare them to go home. But there was nothing else that could be done. He said, I want to go home. 
I want to see my grandchildren and my dog. And I wasn't quite sure what priority. (laughs) He was missing his grandchildren. He was in the last few days of his life. And he knew he wouldn't watch them grow up. He knew he wouldn't celebrate another birthday with them. He knew he'd never take them on his knee again and tell them a bedtime story. He would miss their graduation and their college years, watching them fall in love and get married. He knew all of that, all of the joy, was not to be his. And he said to me, Richard, I'm ready to go home. And he didn't mean to his home with his children. He meant eternity. And he said, I don't want to go, but I'm ready. I'm ready. And I asked him on Wednesday when I saw him for the last time, and the family had gathered round, and we'd prayed together, and we talked over all sorts of things and reminisced a little. And as the family broke off and were going in different directions just before I was leaving, I said to him, Roger, is there something you want me to say to your grandchildren when we have the service? And he said, tell them to be godly. Nothing would make me more happy if I knew they were godly. And yesterday morning, I had that immense privilege. And here was Roger, not unlike the Apostle Paul, a real life facing real challenges with his back against the wall, had handed it all over and was ready to slip into eternity. Deep, abiding, lasting, supernatural joy, a living reality, a living reality. And notice how Paul finishes. As he takes us a step further, notice what he says. Not only does he say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then he adds, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Christian life is a life of prayer, quietly surrendered to Him, a life of deep, abiding intimacy in your relationship with Him. And this morning, you have a choice, and here is the choice. As he walks beside you this week, are you ready to leave him there? Are you ready to move on? Are you ready to focus on who you are becoming rather than where you have been? That's what's happening right here. Are you ready to get to that sweet spot of resting in him, rejoicing in him, and allowing him to deal with it, that's what's happening here. I don't think it's chance or accident that on this Commitment Sunday, 
when we as a congregation, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, choir members, musicians, leaders in the church, are stepping forward and saying, I commit my finances to all that First Pres is doing because I want a church that is a secure spiritual home, a place that is life-giving and life-affirming, a place that is committed to engaging the culture and society around us with the transforming love of Christ found in the gospel and, and, as for me, I'm ready to lay down the burden. I'm ready to walk away. I'm ready to rest in Him. Notice the four words that Paul finishes with. When he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or admirable, think on these things Think on these things. Focus there. Concentrate there. And then verse 9 is the hardest verse of all we have studied this morning. And whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen from me, put it into practice. And that means this. That means that later this afternoon, and tomorrow morning, and certainly by Tuesday or Wednesday, you will be texting me and emailing me and saying, Richard, I left my backpack on the fourth pew up. It's on the right-hand side. Is there any possibility you can mail it to me today? I need it. I need it. It's mine. I don't recognize myself. The word for joy in the New Testament gives us the English word hilarious. And I'm fairly convinced the Christian life should be a fun-filled life. I have, as my wife reminds me regularly, I have a dreadful sense of humor. I think it is finely crafted and honed to perfection. She thinks that's a minority report. She's right, but nonetheless… And let me finish with what I think is the funniest thing I've heard in the last five years. I've told it to you before, but it's worth saying again. I know I should be able to get over my fear of German sausage, but I fear the worst. <laughs> okay, some of you are just getting it, and you're not there quite yet, but that's okay. I'm already seeing husbands going, what did he just say? <laughs> when you have intimacy with the living God, when you take the burdens and the concerns and the things that rob you of your joy, you can put them down and leave them there, and you no longer have to fear the worst, because He is sovereign, and He is in charge, and He is sufficient, and He can be trusted. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, thank You for this spectacular passage of Scripture. 
Thank you for all that we have learned this day. And we pray for each other. May the peace of Christ that is beyond understanding take us from this place of worship and allow us, please, today to live for you and to put into practice all that we have heard and learned. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.